How would you turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew chapter 28, and we'll read from verse 16. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This morning we're continuing our study in the subject of the church. We have looked at the organization of the church. We've looked at the ordinances of the church. We've looked at the offices of the church. This morning we want to look at the orders to the church. And we want to turn, in order to do that, to the Great uh, Commission. When I first arrived in Bethany, some of the more um, progressive, trendy, yuppie uh, individuals in the church had a little party and they asked me to go. And they said to me, uh, I felt I was being interrogated, but they said to me, um, what is your purpose statement for the church. You know, in the noughties, there was this great thing to have a purpose statement. And I said, well, I don't have one. There was this look of real disappointment on their faces. I says, I haven't got one, but I've been given one. And the one that I've been given is here in Matthew chapter 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and to teach them whatsoever he has commanded. That's what I do. That's my calling. That's my great purpose when it comes uh, to the, the church, the great commission. Christ orders to the church before he ascended into glory. Now, most of us here, I'm sure, see the binding nature of these words uh, upon not only the church corporately, but Christians individually, that we have a responsibility to take, all, to take the gospel into all the world. But that wasn't always the case. In the latter part of the 19th century, the church had descended into hyper-Calvinism, and hyper-Calvinism means that you deny the free offer of the gospel to everyone. You don't tell people that they need to repent and believe the gospel uh, until they show signs of interest in the gospel. Or a high Calvinism, which believed that the Lord in his sovereignty had uh, placed the gospel uh, in <clears throat> Western countries and for reasons only known to himself, he had abandoned the other countries of the world. One young man was different. His name was William Carey. He was a, a Calvinist. For years he had been uh, compiling uh, uh, information about the world, its geography, its demographics, its religions, uh, and its uh, countries and cultures. He was a Baptist minister in a small town uh, in uh, Leicester and uh, was working part-time as a shoemaker and as a teacher to supplement his income. On the wall of his schoolroom, he had a hand-drawn map which was based on Captain Cook's uh, voyages. And when he taught the pupils, he would, with a pointer, point out these areas of the world. And he would say, now, boys, this is India, and it's heathen. And then he would turn to 
Burma. And he'd say, now boys, this is Burma and it's heathen. And then he would turn to China and he would say, boys, this is China and it's heathen. And as the boys watched him, they noticed tears streaming down his faces as he recounted the spiritual darkness of those places. 1792, he gathered all the statistics together and published them in a call to world evangelism under the very snappy title of an inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversions of the heathen in the religious, uh, um, in which the religious states of the different nations of the world, the success of former undertakings and the practicality of further undertakings are considered by William Carey. And that in led to the founding of the particular Baptist Missionary Society in 1792 uh, in Kettering uh, in Andrew Fuller's manse and they made a collection in Andrew Fuller's snuff box and so began the uh, Baptist uh, Missionary Society and William Carey was appointed as their first missionary to India. And the interesting thing for us this morning is that inquiry William Carey's inquiry, began with an exposition of the Great Commission uh, in which he demonstrated those words were still binding upon the church. And the rise of the modern missionary movement can be traced to that publication. Now, I'm sure none of us would question the binding nature of the Great Commission and the obligation that we have to fulfill it, but sometimes just by a shift in emphasis, we neglect and ignore that obligation. So we want to look at this commission this morning, and we want to notice three things, the duty of evangelism, our goal in evangelism, and the encouragement for evangelism. So first of all, then, the duty of evangelism. Jesus meets his disciples in a prearranged place, a mountain in Galilee, and he told them, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if you're using the authorized version, it says teach all nations. That's not a good translation because it's not the same word for teaching that appears uh, in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things. The emphasis is on making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he has commanded. Now, this command to take the gospel to all nations is binding upon every generation of Christians as demonstrated by Carey very conclusively because he said if the call of, uh, to discipleship uh, is continual, if the uh, practice of baptism is ongoing, and if the divine promise is uh, though I am with you always to the end of the age, then the call to take the gospel to all nations is to the end of the age also. Now notice Jesus commands this. Look at verse 18. All authority and heaven and, and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And if all authority has been entrusted to him in terms of creation, but also in terms of redemption, that he is the head of the church. He has the right to issue these orders and to tell us to be involved uh, in this task of world evangelism. So any failure in our part to fulfill this command is disobedience and sin. 
Uh, remember, I've emphasized before that there are two types of sin. There are sins of commission, doing those things that we shouldn't do. But there are also sins of omission, failing to do those things that we should do. That sin is not just what you do, but sin is what you fail to do. And failure on the part of the church collectively or the Christian individually to fulfill the great commission, since it's an explicit order of the head of the church, is sin. This is commanded by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is a divine order that issues from his throne. But not only is it commanded by Christ, it's assumed by Christ. The Greek um, text here is very interesting. When Christ uh, commands us uh, to go and make disciples, he uses a, a merest participle, which very simply means the past tense. So it's not uh, simply a command to go. There is an assumption that every Christian will go. As you go, it could be translated, make disciples. Or uh, uh, having gone, make disciples. There is this underlying assumption that every Christian will be involved in this task of making Christ knowing. And uh, Jesus is saying, I know that you will go, and as you go, here is the procedure, the plan, and the program. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Once we have discovered the truth as it is in Jesus, how could we possibly keep that truth to ourselves? If the gospel is good news, surely it's only natural that we would want to take that good news and broadcast that good news to a perishing world. If I was suffering from a, a terminal uh, illness and uh, by myself I had discovered the cure for that illness, how, uns, uh, how selfish, how uh, immoral, how unnatural it would be to keep that cure to myself while people are perishing around me. If I truly love my fellow, uh, uh, fellow creatures, how could I keep the remedy of the gospel from them. J.C. Ryle says, it may well be questioned whether a man knows the value of the gospel himself if he does not desire to make the gospel known to the world. If there's no desire in me to make Christ known, it's question, uh, questionable whether Christ is actually in me. And I've experienced the truth of the gospel. Uh, one occasion I heard of a minister who had uh, got into difficulty in his church and the relationships between him and the church had broken down. And at that time I was sitting on a, a mission board who were looking for a Northern Ireland representative. And I thought this would be a good way to ease him back into Christian ministry so that uh, he could uh, fulfill this, this role of going around churches and promoting the, uh, the, the mission, and I met him and his wife in a coffee shop, and I put the proposal to him, and his, his wife just looked with, at me with, with a, a look of horror on her face and said, uh, Tony's not interested in missions. Oh, you could have knocked me over with a feather. How could a, a Christian minister call to preach the gospel not be interested in mission? How can any Christian not be interested in mission. 
Mission is commanded by Christ and it's assumed by Christ. Michael Green says, the Christian church must never descend into a comfortable club for the like-minded. The Christian church must never descend into a comfortable club for the like-minded. But sadly, congregations and clergy are committed to maintenance and not mission. The church is called to look out. I wonder this morning if I asked you what the primary purpose, the primary reason for Christ leaving the church in the world is, how you would answer that question. And you might say, well, it's for fellowship, so that we learn how to get on together, we open our lives to each other, and we interact and support and care for each other. Others might say, well, it's, it's teaching to, to learn. That must be the priority of the church, where we sit under uh, the, the ministry of the Word, we think biblically, and we have our minds stretched theologically so that we can know more about God, because after all, theology is loving God with your mind. Still others might say, well, it's holiness so that we can conform our lives uh, to the uh, image of Christ and be the kind of people that Christ wants us to be. Others might say, well, the reason the church exists in the world is to worship. I'm sure if I put that question to you, those, those things would rank high in your estimation to love one another, to, to learn from the Scriptures, to live a consecrated life, to worship Him. However, that's not the primary purpose of the church remaining in the world. If God's primary purpose for the church uh, to remain in the world was loving fellowship, well, he would, the moment we're converted, he would strike us dead, we would go to heaven, and we would uh, there be, enjoy perfect fellowship, uh, unhindered by sin, selfishness, and a sectarian spirit. If God's primary purpose for the church remaining in the world was to grow in their understanding of his word, he would take us straight to heaven on the moment of conversion so that we would uh, know even as we are fully known. If it was holiness, then surely he would take us straight to heaven that we might worship him with unveiled faces or worship him in the way that he is worthy to be worshipped. There is one primary purpose for the church's existence in the world, and that is mission. The church exists for mission. Fellowship, teaching, godliness, and worship are the preparation, if you like, for that task to take the gospel into all the world to strengthen us and to help us to be the kind of ambassadors that he wants us to be in terms of gospel proclamation. So the duty of evangelism. The second thing I want you to notice is the goal in evangelism. Look at verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's a, a threefold command or commission here to make disciples, to bring people into a right relationship with God, to baptize those disciples, to bring them into a right relationship with the church of God, and to teach them to bring them into a right relationship with the Word of God. 
Now, the primary emphasis, of course, is making the, the disciples, the second two clauses, baptizing and teaching, or subordinate clauses. The emphasis in the original is on the main clause of making disciples. Making disciples. Now, notice it doesn't say make converts or get converts, but make disciples. And that's, of course, a reference to the practice back in the first century where people would attach themselves to teachers. They would follow them, they would learn from them, and they would conform their lives to them. Discipleship, that's what a disciple did. And Jesus wasn't the only one to to have disciples. Other rabbis had disciples too. And it began, of course, with the, the call of the teacher, come and follow me. That there is this decision to follow after Christ, to attach, to, to attach yourself to Christ. It's interesting when you compare Luke's gospel, Jesus talked about the scriptures um, in uh, Luke 24 and 47, uh, teaching the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. So that, that's how it begins, the call of the gospel, the call to repentance, the call to faith. But then it goes on and you, you learn from him as you listen to him. You pattern your life upon him and so become like him. So he responds to the call. He learns the teaching and he conforms his life, the disciple, then to the teaching of the master. And that is how you make a disciple. I, I find it very significant. Uh, that Jesus says, uh, make disciples. It's not decisions he's looking for. He's looking for disciples, people who respond to the call of the teacher. They follow the teacher. They model their life upon the teacher by learning of him. So our call is to make disciples. Well, how is that to be done? How is that program to be carried out in the world by baptizing them and by teaching them. So baptism, whatever your view of baptism, baptism is the gate by which a person enters the church. It is the, the initiation, if you like, into the church. And so when Jesus tells us to make disciples, he is telling us to do that by planting churches. That evangelism needs to be church-based and church-focused so that, that people then, when they, they uh, respond to the call, are brought into the church so that they can be taught the Word of God. That's his plan and his blueprint for the evangelization of uh, the world. If people are to be taught whatsoever he has commanded, the church needs to set aside gifted teachers in order that they may be taught the word of God. So the task of mission, and I hope nobody misunderstands this, is not simply preaching the gospel. That's not where it ends. It's preaching the gospel, it's planting churches, and it's teaching those 
members of those churches the, the word of God, that they might grow in faith and thus be equipped for, as Paul says in Ephesians, for works of service themselves. So you, you cannot separate off mission from, from church work. The goal, the goal of any missionary society must be the establish, not only converts, but the establishing of churches and the teaching of those new disciples in those churches. That the process of discipleship, of making disciples, is carried out in the context of the church and in the teaching of the Word of God. Someone has said an unchurchly mission is as much a monstrosity as an unmissionary church. If we are to make disciples, we mustn't restrict the gospel simply to a call to Christ, but to see churches established where believers can be taught. This is our goal in evangelism, to make disciples, to bring them into a right relationship with the Son of God, to baptize them, to bring them into a right relationship with the church of God, and to teach them, to bring them into a right relationship with the Word of God. That's our goal. And, uh, you know, the motto for Baptist missions is making disciples, planting churches. And it's my chief complaint as a, as a a member of the committee, that they have stopped short because the work of mission doesn't end with making disciples and, and uh, planting churches, but teaching them the Word of God that they might be grounded uh, in good doctrine. So the duty uh, of evangelism, the goal in evangelism, and then the encouragement uh, for evangelism. First of all, the presence of Christ. Notice that great promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you uh, always to the end of the age. The authorized version is poor there. It's not to the end of the world, but it's to the end of the age, to the consummation of the age, to the time when Christ will return in power and great glory. And you'll know that Matthew's gospel begins with the uh, announcement of the angel of Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus, even as an embryo in, in the uh, womb of a virgin, was God manifested in the flesh. It was God coming into our world. And here, uh, Matthew's gospel ends with this promise that the gospel, as the gospel is preached, that Christ will be with those who take the gospel to the ends of the earth, Always, always, literally all days, all days. Um, the founder of the African Inland Mission, I can't remember his name, preached a very famous sermon on the four alls of the Great Commission. All authority, all nations, all that I have commanded, and all ways are all days. And that sense of the presence of Christ is, a, is an inspiration and a, a motivation for the gospel. You remember when we began this uh, series, Jesus said about the church, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst, that he is, he is with us when we come together and assemble 
uh, as a congregation of his people in a way that he isn't with us as individuals. That there are special promises of his presence attached when we meet as a church. But here, there's the special promise of his presence as we engage in evangelism. And sometimes we feel inadequate for this task, and sometimes we feel overwhelmed and filled with fear, but the disciples were no different. Uh, We're we're told um, in verse 17, and when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Literally, some hesitated. They were hesitant about this task that confronted them in taking the gospel into the world. Some hesitated. And you know that sort of sense of uh, hesitancy that you uh, feel when the gospel just very naturally turns around, or when the conversation very naturally turns around to the gospel, and you're, you're not sure whether to ply in or, or hold back. But Jesus says, at that very moment, His presence is to be felt, and His presence is to be experienced. John Christostanum, one of the fathers of the early church, said, uh, uh, Why so hesitant? I am with you. Why so hesitant? I am with you. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, at that very moment is with us in our witnessing. You know, David Livingstone was um, a great uh, pioneer missionary to the heart of Africa. And, um, uh, you, you know, those famous words of Stanley, uh, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. Um, well, this was his motto text, and he recorded uh, in his journal, January the 14th, 1856, felt much turmoil of spirit and prospect of having all my plans knocked in the head by savages tomorrow, but I read, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred order. So that's an end to fear. So when he came back home for furlough, he, the University of Glasgow was or, um, awarding him a, a, a doctorate. And when uh, he rose to the stage, there was this audible gasp as they saw this little man ravished by disease and by fevers. Uh, He dragged one of his arms at his side because he'd been attacked by a lion. He looked pale and gaunt. And uh, somebody asked him, Dr. Livingstone, will you go back? And he says, I will return without misgiving and with gladness. You asked me what has supported me through the years. It is this. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. On these words, I stake everything, and they have never failed me. When he died in 1874, they found him kneeling beside his bed with his Bible opened at Matthew 28 and pointing at these words. Lo, I am with you always. The, the, The presence of Christ. Secondly, the power of Christ. Just, just notice uh, how this commission begins in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Do you notice that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? Now, when, when you do a, a survey of the New Testament, you discover that the heavenlies refers to that place where Christ, um, where, where demons are said to hold their, their sway. So um, we're told that uh, um, when he was raised, Christ seat, was seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above, the, uh, uh, and above every name that is named, that, uh, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And then Ephesians 6, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, the authorities, against the... Uh, the nomic powers of darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this, this phrase, the heavenlies, refers to that place where the devil and his devilish demons have their existence and have exercised their authority. And when Christ descended, he descended to the heavenlies and he struck them down and he defeated them all and Jesus when he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore on the basis of this go and make disciples of all nations he is telling us that even the demons of hell and the devil himself cannot stand against the advance of the gospel that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That he has trampled Satan down. And Satan is a defeated enemy. And the gospel will go forth. And the gospel will triumph. J.B. Phillips, the uh, author of that, that paraphrase of the New Testament, which is so helpful, published a book uh, entitled, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. And that's, that's the problem. People have far too small a God and far too big a devil. It's as if the devil runs riot in the world and can do whatever he wants. And he's blamed for everything. But our God reigns. And the devilish hosts of the heavenlies have been trampled down. And so we can go with confidence with the gospel into the world. Presence of Christ, the power of Christ, and then the purpose of Christ. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All the days, says Jesus literally, uh, until the completion of the age to the consummation of the age. Not, as I say, the authorized versions rendering to the end of the world. It's to the consummation of the age, to the completion of the age. And that word completion was, was used of two parts coming together to make a whole. And that God has his purposes in the world. And his purposes are being uh, fulfilled in the advancement of the gospel in the world. And when that uh, work is finished and is completed when the church of Jesus Christ is saved to sin no more, as the hymn writer says, then the work is completed and Jesus will return. 
And there's no question, no doubt, no hesitation that his purposes will be fulfilled in the world and the church of Jesus Christ will be saved to sin no more. That there will be no empty places in heaven, but that, uh, that all 144,000, not a literal number, but 12,000, 12 tribes in the Old Testament, 12 tribes in the New Testament, 12 twelves multiplied by 1,000, 1,000, 12,000, that all the elect of God are brought finally and safely into heaven. What an, what an encouragement that is. That he calls us to this task of world evangelism, to a task that cannot fail, to a task that will be completed, that Jesus wins and he will have a people for himself from every tribe and language and people and nation. And what an honor it is and what a joy it is to be involved in his great plan and purpose for the world in taking the gospel into all the world. The duty of evangelism. We are commanded. In fact, Christ assumes that we will go. The goal of evangelism is, is to make disciples, to see them brought into churches and taught the Word of God so that they blossom in their faith and they become true followers of Jesus. And the encouragement for evangelism, the presence of Christ, the power of Christ, and the purpose of Christ. This is the great task of the church. This is why we remain in the world. These are the orders that we have received. I wonder, do you pray for mission? I wonder, are you supporting mission? I wonder, are you interested in mission? I wonder, do you actually engage in mission yourself and seek to share the gospel with others?